Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, March 10th, we're studying Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus tells another parable to teach the kingdom of heaven to his disciples. Today, we're looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. To help us to sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Vandercook. Pastor Vandercook serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be here. Pastor Vandercook, as we get started this morning, give us some context here as we prepare to enter into Matthew chapter 20. What do we need to know about the surrounding text? Well, the preceding text is an encounter between uh, Jesus and the rich young ruler uh, in which he shows the rich young ruler who asks the question, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to uh, inherit the kingdom of heaven? And because he asks a law question, Jesus gives him a law answer and says, okay, if you want to go down that pathway, uh, then here you, here you go, keep the Ten Commandments, basically. And he says, well, I've kept them since I was a boy, which, of course, is not true. Uh, so in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the telling of that, or in that encounter between Jesus and the rich young ruler, Jesus shows that um, salvation does not come by works, uh, but rather uh, that, you know, as, as his disciples ascertained from the, from the interaction there, that uh, uh, you know, that salvation is an impossibility. It's only with God that salvation is possible. It uh, can be a thing. And, and then in the verses that follow, um, you end up with the um, uh, uh, the verses that follow have Jesus telling about his, his death and resurrection the third time. That is the means of salvation. Um, and then you also get uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee uh, asking Jesus to have her two sons sit on the right and the left. Uh, you know, seeking positions of honor, which which runs contrary, really, to the uh, uh, the the first will be last, and last will be first, which is something we'll probably talk about with the talking about the parable itself. So that kind of gets us into what the text is is getting at there. Mm. That, those words, the the first will be last, the last will be first. Those form a sandwich around the the text that we have. So so should we understand this parable when we get into it as a an explanation of what that means? Well, I think so, definitely. Uh, and in fact, it's it's inverse. The the in verse thirty in chapter nineteen, verse thirty, it says, "But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then it's actually flipped around at the end of this parable where it says the last will be first and the first last. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's right, that this parable is uh, is explaining exactly what does he mean by that. Now, before we get into the parable itself, I, I said at the beginning, this is the parable of the workers or the, the laborers in the vineyard. That's the, the title that you'll see in your ESV, your English Standard Version, that the editors assign to this parable. <clears throat> and, and I've had this conversation with others. You know, we, we assign 
titles to parables so that we have a, a shorthand way of, of referring to them, the parable of the sower or the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but it, it's, I think it's good to, to recognize that when we assign a title, it, it gives us a, a picture of the parable already and, and emphasizes one aspect of it. So, Pastor Vandercook, what do you think of the title, Parable of Laborers in the Vineyard? Well, it's kind of interesting because it's it's actually it's a parable about labors in the vineyard. At least that's you know what's going on there is that you have uh, just in the basic story that you have workers that are hired, but it's a parable that actually teaches us that uh, the opposite of that you know it's 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 not about work, uh, and so it's a parable about workers to teach us that salvation does not come by works, uh, but rather through grace alone. Um, so, I mean, it's appropriate in that it, it, uh, it does tell exactly what's going on in the, you know, that the master is hiring workers for the vineyard. But, uh, you know, it's, it's also kind of an ironic title in that, uh, you know, Jesus is telling this parable to show how salvation doesn't come by works. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is that is ironic. I, I also think, you know, it when we hear laborers in the vineyard, that's the, the character in the parable that we focus on. But we perhaps lose sight of the main character in the parable, who is the the master. And I think I think yeah, we'll see true. that this master is uh, a bit eccentric, maybe um, he's, he's not your typical vineyard owner. Yeah, for sure. So. Let, let's go ahead and, and find out about this this vineyard owner who hires laborers for his vineyard. We're in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Jesus is is still talking. It's, it's all red letters from the end of Matthew 19, now into chapter 20. So Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day, and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. That is the text for today. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. So, Pastor Vandercook, the, the parable starts like we're, we're typically used to with Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So, I mean, he's maybe we should just say this at the outset. He's not talking about like how you, how you own a vineyard, right? This is not a how-to on, on here's how you run a vineyard. Yeah, part of reading scripture in context is to, to realize that it's not always 
you know, the scripture isn't always giving giving us an example of how to live in this world, uh, per se, because here, obviously, this is really bad advice if you're going to be running a vineyard. Uh, you know, if you're going to say, hey, uh, you know, pay pay these guys for uh, for a full day's work, whether or not they work. I mean, because basically those last laborers, they don't do hardly anything. You can't get hardly anything done in an hour. And they're getting paid as if they work for the whole day. Uh, so, yeah, this is not um, sound business advice by any means, but that's not why Jesus tells the parable. Jesus is trying to illustrate how the kingdom of heaven is different than everything else in the world. And that's true of a lot of Jesus' parables, is that, you know, it, you see the, the characters in in various parables that he's telling acting very strangely or not in the way that you would expect it and, and not in a way that's really going to succeed in the uh, in the world at all. Uh, but again, yeah, it's it's really important that we point out that a lot of times when he tells these parables, almost every time he tells a parable, it's the kingdom of heaven is like this because it's showing how the kingdom of heaven is not the same as uh, the world that you live in. So take us then into the the world of the parable here. It, it you know, we said it, it's not how you'd normally run a vineyard, but it seems that it starts off fairly normally. What what's going? I mean, just take us into the details. What's going on here in this parable? Yeah, well, you know, he goes out early in the morning and he hires workers for the vineyard, uh, and and you can even see this. Uh, the modern day context that always comes to my mind is that um, when I was in when I was in high school we used to drive through this part of town from time to time where there were just a bunch of men uh, standing next to this building. And I remember asking my parents, Hey, what's, why are these guys all standing here? And they told me, Oh, those are day laborers, you know? And what it was is that uh, they were, they were hired usually for construction type jobs or something like that. But somebody would drive by and they'd be looking for people to work for them for the day. And that's where that's where it would happen. So, I mean, yeah, it's the, the opening of the parable is very much just a very typical interaction between a master of a vineyard looking for um, for workers for his vineyard. And they make an agreement. Uh, the 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 master of the vineyard um, makes the agreement with them and says, hey, I'll give you a denarius a day. And they said, OK, sounds good to us. And they go to work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for that first group. Uh, there is there's really nothing strange going on at all. That's that's perfectly normal. The the wage that he pays them is a normal working wage for a day, uh, and they agree they agree to it, uh, and uh, they head on to the vineyard to work. Um, you know what's different though is that the rest of the workers that are hired, the ones that are hired at the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, uh, there is no agreement made. Uh, there's there's nothing in there and saying he doesn't say to them come work in the vineyard I'll pay you uh, you know let's let's work let's let's decide what wage you're going to make in this so there's no contract really that's established between the rest of them all the vineyard owner says is I'll give you what is right uh, and so there's a big difference there between what happens with that first group and what happens with the next groups that are hired because there's no contract that's being negotiated here it's just I'll give you what's right. Uh, and they're satisfied with that apparently because they go out into the vineyard to work. I, I think, you know, it's not a specific amount, the I'll give you what is right. But I do think that that's a, a pretty key line when it comes to this, uh, what we call the, the middle group. I mean, you know, there's what, there's the beginning of the day, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour. That's that's five different times this owner hires. But the the first group really stands out 
those middle three sort of blend together. And then the last group is really going to stand out. And of course, the, the first and the last, I think, are going to be the ones that, that are key to the parable. But but as he, he he's hiring, this matter of, of whatever is right, I will give you, I think is is pretty important for us to, to hold on to because it, it places the master as the central character. The, the parable really does revolve around him. And, and whether or not we believe what he does is right or not, I think is going to be a, a key to help us understand this parable as we move through it. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And the master is the one, yeah, the master is the one who decides what is right. Um, yeah. The, the workers don't get to make that decision. Yeah. And you're right that the, the middle three groups, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and this didn't, this didn't hit me until uh, just a little while ago, but the, uh, the other time you hear those time descriptors for whatever it's worth, third, sixth, and ninth hours um, are at Jesus' crucifixion, which, you know, we can maybe jump into that a little bit later, maybe, perhaps. But, yeah, you have those third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hours. Really, you can throw all of them together and say that, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a difference in the way that those were hired as opposed to the first. Um, but, yeah, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour workers, um, those the the details really aren't all that important as far as they go. I mean, it helps build some suspense for the story, you know, just as somebody who's coming into this the first time. Oh, you know, what's going to happen with all these workers? Uh, but yeah, really, the ones that we focus on are the first and the last because that really is the um, uh, the illustration. Again, that gets back to the whole that whole line that opened this up uh, that the the last will be first and the first will be last. <coughs> So what about this last group then in, in verses six and seven? What, what's the interaction between the, those, those workers and the master? Yeah, they, um, uh, they, they simply say to, you know, he asked them, why are you standing here idle all day? Uh, you know, and they say, well, because nobody's hired us. So they have the desire to work. They have the desire to be in, you know, in the vineyard, oh, but nobody's hired them yet. Uh, and so, you know, again, the the action here that brings them into the vineyard is made by the owner of the vineyard and says, well, you, you go work in the vineyard, too. You know, uh, so there's this uh, uh, again. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it, there's that. Why, why hasn't anybody hired you? You know, why are you still standing here? You know, uh, well, we haven't been hired yet. That's the bottom line. So um, it's it's not that they refuse to work. It's that nobody's hired them, mm-hmm. and and just and maybe we should have started with this. But the so we're we're thinking of a twelve hour work day. Is is that the and that's why the eleventh hour is perhaps so surprising to us? Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, yeah, it's just one hour. These guys don't deserve to be paid for a full day. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, you, you work one hour, and uh, you shouldn't be paid for the whole day. That's not that's not sound business practice. And it's, they certainly wouldn't probably wouldn't have expected to be paid for a full day's work either. Uh, and that's part of the thing too, here is that you have that first group again, to contrast that first group is expecting to be paid. Uh, and that's the reason they're working. They're working to be paid that wage for a single day. This last group, uh, again, just as the other three that were hired in the middle, they don't know how much money they're going to make. And so they are, working because they want to work. Uh, the ones that were hired at the beginning of the day are working because they're going to get something in return. 
and that's what they're expecting. So there's there's a difference there. And really what it is is, uh, well, we'll get into the application, I guess, a little bit later, but it's the idea of, um, you know, working for an expected payment rather than working and receiving at the, you know, receiving from the master what he feels is right. Mm. Yeah. So, so take us then into the first scene is the hiring of the workers from the very beginning of the day, all the way to the 11th hour where these, these guys are only going to work for one hour and then comes it's, it's not payday, it's pay time around 6 PM, right? The, the work day is over and, and we see a, a very vivid picture of what Jesus has said in terms of the, the first will be last, the last first that he's actually going to line up these workers from the last hire to the first, take us into the, the payment scene. Yeah, exactly. He has the has the steward go out there and pay them, and he gives them the instruction to pay the uh, the ones hired last first. And you see the suspense building there, just in the you know the way the story is the way the story is told by Jesus here. That you know first you get these workers that were hired last, and he gives them a denarius. And you know it, the text doesn't record the reaction of any of the group. I mean, it does record the reaction of the first group, but we don't get the reaction of that first group. But you can imagine they were proud. They had to be ecstatic uh, to receive this much money just for working for one hour. Uh, you know, and so and and while while again the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour workers, those ones in the middle weren't mentioned. Certainly, they were pretty pleased too uh, with the whole scenario. Uh, and then you get to the end and it's like, well, gosh, if he paid them one denarius for one hour, you know, if you do the math, well, they're going to get 12 days worth of wages. Maybe if the, if the guy's going to be equal and fair, that's what he would do. You know, he's paying denarius an hour instead of a denarius per day. Uh, and so mm-hmm. you have that, 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 uh, expectation perhaps building in the workers that were hired first. And then when it gets to them, they get the same wage. Uh, and you know that they're they're not pleased to say the least. In fact, they they grumble against the master of the house. It says, hmm. "What what do they what do they say?" I think. And again, I know we'll we'll get into the the application. I think of this on the second half of the the parable. But what are I think these words are pretty important. What do they say about about the master and their grumbling? Yeah, they on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, "These last work only one hour, and you have made them equal to us." who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're upset that these have now been put on the same level as they are because they, again, work the whole day. They've labored the whole day. And now you have this group that just worked an hour and the master of the house has made them equals. Uh, so, yeah, they, they object to the idea that uh, the ones hired at the end were, are now considered their equals. Right. Yeah. That, 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 I think that again is, is a key phrase that, that their complaint is that the master has made these workers all equal. And, and in the minds of these first workers, this is not right to go back to what the, the master of the vineyard said at the beginning, whatever is right, I will give you in the minds of these yeah. first ones, what he has done isn't right. Though I suppose if you had asked them at the very beginning of the day, back at 6am when they got hired, of course, it would have been right then, but now that they've yeah. gotten time to be paid, now all of a sudden it it isn't, and they're they're grumbling against the master. Right. Yeah. So take us then into the master's response. That's the the third main section here, the master's response, Pastor Vandercook. 
Yeah, well, he reminds the workers, look, you made an agreement with me for a denarius a day. So in that sense, you know, he's, you know, if you want to, if you want to just speak in legal terms and contract terms, the master has kept his end of the bargain because he said, look, you agreed with me for a denarius a day. You got your denarius. Uh, And he also points out, it's my money. I get to do with it what I want to. You know, uh, I, I, I chose to pay them this way. Uh, and, and that's the way that I pay, you know, and that's, that's what I want to do. And I can do what I want to with, with my money. And so you see the, um, um, those hired later, you know, later in the day, uh, the difference here as well, notice, uh, I noticed that the, the master, uh, sends away the workers that grumbled. He sends them away. Uh, it doesn't say anything about the other workers, though. They were not sent away like the master was, or the, not the master, the uh, the first laborers were. And so you get the impression here that this, uh, again, as, as we get into the application of this thing, is that they were sent away while the others remained with the master, which becomes really important. We consider the, uh, the illustration here of, of God's grace in this parable. So, I mean, and maybe this is a question concerning application, but the fact that the master sends them away and, and thinking about the, the kingdom of heaven is this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Are, are we seeing a picture of judgment cast outside of the kingdom here? I know that may be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but but you brought it up right now. And that, that's the question I had. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think perhaps, I mean, yes, I think there is a warning here in this parable that, you know, if we, um, if we begrudge the master, if we, if we do this, we are at risk of losing this thing that he has promised to give us, you know, uh, and if we treat it, uh, you know, uh, the way that it was, um, this is, well, yeah, I mean, this is the, um, uh, this is the gospel reading for, uh, Septuagesma and the, um, uh, in the historic lectionary that we use at, at the two congregations that I serve. And uh, it's paired up with uh, Exodus 17, where the people of Israel grumble against God and they grumble against Moses because they're thirsty. Uh, and I think that's the reason why the text was chosen to go with the gospel readings, because you have that grumbling of the people. And you see the reality of uh, the people of Israel. Many of them did not make it to the promised land. And the reason that they did not make it to the promised land is because they rejected uh, the God who was graciously providing for all of their needs. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, there is this warning in this text for sure uh, that we not become uh, secure nor look to uh, our works as security for our salvation. Hmm. Take us take us a bit more into that liturgical context of, of Sept, uh, and we don't use the one year lectionary here, Pastor Peter Cook. So I'm going to let you say Septuagesima. Septuagesima. <laughs> right? Yeah. So so take us a little bit yeah. more into that that context because you you've got some here. And I think that's that's instructive for this text. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know. God, God provides water for his people. And, and, you know, it's more than just God providing water for the people in the, of Israel in the wilderness. You have this, this constant kind of back and forth between um, uh, God and his people in the Old Testament during the Exodus, and that they're, they're constantly grumbling about something. They don't have food. They don't have water. And then it's, we hate this food that you've given us. And, you know, did you bring us out here in the desert to die? It would be better if we were back in Egypt sitting around meat pots, you know, which... Uh, I don't remember that ever being described uh, in in Exodus before 
before the Israelites leave. You know, they, they seemingly forget all the things that God has done for them. Uh, and of course, the problem is they lack faith. They lack faith that God will continue to provide for them. You even see that in the way that they receive the stuff that God gives them from time to time, like the, you know, he gives them the instructions with the uh, the manna to gather twice as much on uh, uh on the sixth day so that they have enough for the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, the people go out and look on the Sabbath day for this stuff and it's not there because God told them they wouldn't. And then there's also the times that they gather more than they were supposed to and it breeds worms and it stinks, you know? So, I mean, they've got this constant, uh, lack of faith that they show in this whole thing. Um, and so, you know, but through it all, God continues to graciously provide for them, uh, and for all of their needs of body and soul. Um, and, you know, it illustrates, first of all, that the Israelites did not, uh, what would be right, you know, getting back to that question of, uh, you know, I'll go work in the vineyard, I'll give you what is right. Um, what would be right in this case? I think that's a question we could apply to a lot of things when we read the scriptures. What would be right for God to do for these people? What would be right for God to do the Israelites? And, and the truth is, the thing that would be right for him to do would be to uh, wipe them off the face of the earth, because they're... Uh, they are an unfaithful, stubborn group of people that uh, that don't listen, that that lack faith, uh, and um, and they are uh, there. You know, and we see that as we go on through the history of the people of Israel too. They're idolaters, you know, uh, and so forth. So um, there's that. And then the uh, the the epistle reading that is paired with it is from First Corinthians nine and ten. And this is where Paul exhorts the church at Corinth not to run the race for perishable rewards, but for imperishable. Uh, and so again, getting back into the whole works righteousness thing here, what do those first workers hired want to do? They want to earn their living. They're trying to earn a wage. Uh, and so, you know, what are wages? It's money. It's It's perishable. You know, so, yeah, I mean, the 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 readings really tie together nicely on this particular Sunday and in the greater uh, um, context of the church here, uh, Septuagesima is in the in, in tide, our pre-Lenten season, uh, and it's preparing us for Lent uh, and both where this gospel reading falls kind of fits nicely with that, first of all, because right after we get, you know, Jesus predicting his death and resurrection the third time and the interaction with uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, you get Jesus' triumphal entry right after that, you know, surrendering into Holy Week. So there is this kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, real, real nice churchier contextual thing going on with the use of this reading as well. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. We're looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20 with Pastor David Vanderkirk. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Well,
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, March 10th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16 with Pastor David Vandercook of Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumel, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, prior to the break, we, we looked through the parable, examined the story that Jesus tells the world of the parable. What's what's there that's that's normal? What's there that's a bit unusual. So we're looking at application now. So let's, let's think about this matter of hiring workers throughout the day. What did, how do we take this? What does it mean to be hired at the the first hour or the third hour all the way up to the 11th hour? Yeah, well, I've got a good, uh, got a good Luther quote from this that actually shows us how, I guess, how not to use the text. Not that Luther does it wrong, but uh, I'll just read the quote. Um, some of the fathers, uh, and by the church fathers, he, you know, specifically the footnote in my in my in my volume of Luther's works uh, referenced Gregory the Great and Thomas Aquinas, but I also found found it in Augustine's sermons as well. Uh, some of the fathers have applied this gospel reading to the preachers from the beginning of the world, so that the first hour is Adam's time, the third Noah's time, the sixth Abraham's, the ninth Moses's, and the eleventh the time of Christ and his apostles. Such babbling is good for killing time if you have nothing else to preach. Uh, so, you know, Luther being Luther uh, says things like that. And, uh, you know, and, and he's right. I mean, it's it's kind of a kind of a ridiculous way to look at the parable because uh, it, you know, the, the church fathers did, did enjoy their allegory. And that's kind of what we have going on there. Uh, but as Luther goes on to say, it's pretty ridiculous to think that the uh, preachers of the word during Adam's time, Adam, you know, in particular, is going to be complaining to God for um, for saving other people as as the world history went along. You know, uh, so it's kind of a strange thing that the the saints in heaven would do that, complaining to uh, the Almighty God that He's He saved some others. So that's one way not to look at it. But you know, obviously, it is an illustration of the kingdom of heaven, uh, and so you know, the vineyard owner is obviously God the Father. Uh, he's the one that uh, gives the gifts. Uh, they come through him, and he gives them uh, as he sees fit, uh, as, as he makes clear at the end there that, you know, it's, it's my, uh, my wealth to give. And, of course, the wealth that he's giving is, um, uh, is salvation. Uh, you know, the wealth that he's giving is salvation. It's his to give as he sees fit. Uh, and so you have those workers that are, that are hired first, and the workers hired first, the problem with them is basically they have a works righteous type faith. Uh, the ones that are called into the Lord's vineyard who are uh, first uh, given his gifts. And, you know, a nice comparison for that, at least where my mind went, is thinking about Cain in Genesis 4, where, um, you know, Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's is rejected by the Lord. And the problem is that Cain wanted. God to do something in return for him. You know, I made my sacrifice and now Lord, it's your turn to pay up, you know, and that's, that's kind of what you have going on with these first workers that are hired. We did our work now pay us. Uh, and so it's, it's this works righteousness type thing. And what Cain has done is he's got, um, he's created God in his own image. He's created a, um, an idol that responds to uh, works uh, and that's not who the true God is. We have another illustration of that, of course, if you go on in the Old Testament and you have Elijah and his encounter with the prophets of Baal and the way that the prophets of Baal try to get Baal to respond. And, of course, he doesn't because he's a false god. 
But the way they try and get Dale to respond is, you know, they, they do an elaborate dance and they start cutting themselves and everything else. And, and, you know, this is, this is how the gods of the world are man-made gods, are false gods. This is how they respond or supposedly how they respond is that you do something for them and they give you something in return or they do something to you or for you in return. But that's not how the true God works. We see how the true God works in the way that he gives his gifts to the rest of the laborers. He gives them what is right, uh, you know, and and that's what leads us uh, to, to Christ as well, because um, Christ has uh, fulfilled all righteousness, uh, to borrow a phrase from the from the last time that we we discussed last time we were in discussion a couple months ago, you know, uh, Christ has fulfilled all righteousness at the cross. Uh, and now he gives what is right. That is what Christ has won for these uh, for these other workers in the vineyard. I'm using air quotes, but you can't see that on the radio. I realize. So, <laughs> so let's 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 talk a little bit about this this matter of of God being the giver, and and He doesn't give in response to what we do. He gives because that's who He is. Because He is is generous, as the parable says. He's He's going to do what He chooses with what belongs to Him. He's going to give freely for the sake of Christ, and and so. The, the first workers, and, and I don't, you know, I, I, maybe this is going a bit too far, but I, I don't know if at the beginning of the day that they were thinking in terms of works righteousness. You know, I mean, like we said, at the beginning of the day, when they agree to get paid a denarius, I mean, this is, this is standard stuff. It's not until they see the others receiving the same thing that, that they got that they, or at least that it surfaces, I guess that maybe, maybe that thought's been there all along, but, but the thought surfaces that this is about them and what they've done rather than the generosity of the master calling them to work into the vineyard. So, but, but here's, here's, here's where I'm going with all this Pastor Vander Cook at the end of the last section. You had Peter asking Jesus, you know, look, we, we've left everything. We followed you. What do we have? And, and Jesus, I think, gives them a comforting, assuring, reassuring answer that, that yes, you 12, you are in the kingdom of heaven. And, and anyone who leaves houses and, and, and family, they will receive a hundredfold. They'll inherit eternal life. So Jesus puts that promise out there that, that eternal life is coming as an encouragement to his Christians, it would seem. So where, where do we cross that line, I guess, from, from having eternal life being an encouragement to, to continue on, to keep, keep working in the vineyard, where do we cross over that to this matter of thinking somehow we've, we've earned it from God? Does that make, does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. I mean, I think whenever you look at the, um, perhaps the modern day context that we could use in our, in our churches today, it would kind of be like akin to, the lifelong member of the church, you know, why are they here? Well, they're here because, you know, they, they were baptized here and they've received God's gifts here. And they of course would uh, attest to the fact that uh, they've been saved by grace through faith. And and they would, they would acknowledge that. Uh, But yeah, whenever that other person enters in to the picture, you know, those others that come along a little bit later, uh, you know, that is part of our, our sinful flesh that, we have this jealousy in us that perhaps starts to work up. Well, how come they're considered, uh, how can they also be on the same level? How can they be made equal with us when we've been here the whole day, you know, uh, you know, to use some real 
uh, you know, some other, you know, you think about the various things that go on in the life of the church and how active you have people that are in the congregation and, uh, and so forth, and how active we can be as Christians in the church, whether it's doing the, the so-called menial tasks that we may call menial, but I mean, they're all important, but I mean, you know, the, the, you know, the guy that, volunteers to, to mow the grass at church all the time, you know, or something like that. Or we, we volunteer to do this or that thing all the time. And then we have kind of these Johnny come lately's that come into the church and, and all of a sudden they're equal with us. Well, we bore, we, we did all the work, you know, we worked in the scorching heat and now these folks come in and, and they're, they're considered to be equal with us and they haven't done anything yet, you know, and there's that jealousy that, that comes up into us with that because, uh, yeah, we think at that point it kind of turns into now we don't see it as a gift, but now we see it as something we've earned, you know, and there is that danger there. And I think that's what uh, certainly what one of the things that Jesus is warning us against in this whole thing. Uh, but but if we see and here and maybe I, and I appreciate all that and maybe I didn't I don't think I phrased my question right entirely right. But if, if we see it as a gift, is it is it wrong to to want to remain in the vineyard because we know the gift is coming? Does, right. I mean, you talk about working as if, as if God then owes us something. But but when we know that the gift is coming, that does sustain us to the end, doesn't I mean, so there's there's not a it's not wrong for Christians, in other words, to think eternal life awaits me at the end of, of all this. Thanks be to God that is going to sustain me in the midst of the trials and temptations of this life. It's It's when we start comparing ourselves to others, when we start thinking that. I mean, the the misuse doesn't negate the proper use. I guess is my point. Am, am I, I? Maybe I'm just not being clear, Pastor Vandercook. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, are, are you kind of saying that you know you have you have uh, folks that work in the vineyard? And I mean, again, using you know, not really talking about work per se, but we uh, we remain uh, in the faith and we remain in the vineyard um, in spite of the uh, the things that come our way because. We do see that that goal that's coming at the end, which which again you know kind of alludes to. I was talking earlier about the epistle reading for Septuagesima that that talks about running the race and and pursuing that gift which uh, does not perish. You know the the imperishable gift that's coming. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Or yeah, I mean I guess my my point is so the, you've got these first workers, and again this is maybe again trying to dig too deep into what they were or weren't thinking. But at the beginning of the yeah. day, they, they go into the vineyard and they know they're going to get paid at the end of the day. We, When we come into the church, we know that we've got eternal life awaiting us at the end. It, it's not a bad thing to want that, I guess is my point. Oh, you know, well, yeah, I mean, certainly not. You know, uh, I think, again, um, you know, in context, I think what we look, you know, in context as we apply it, I think Jesus has you know, folks in mind when he's, when he's telling the parable, of course, and, and probably in this case, you know, I think if you, if you look at it in the context of Jesus day, you're going to have the, um, uh, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, kind of the two groups that he has the most interaction with, of course, um, they're going to be the ones that are going to point to, um, salvation is theirs because it's, it's like a birthright to them, you know, that, mm-hmm. Uh, that that it's there because of their bloodline and everything else. God owes it to them because they they are who they are. You know, certainly they didn't start out that way. You go back to the the covenant that God made with Israel, and certainly that was not there. 
uh, but it did develop over time. So, Pastor Vandercook, then maybe maybe another helpful way to think about this parable is to make some connections to the catechism. How does this parable relate to the first commandment? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the first commandment: you shall have no other gods. You have the, the the workers that are hired first, and in the end, they do not have their fear, love, and trust in God because their idol is the money that they're getting from their work. Uh, it, it's you know, it was a good thing. All things are all things that God uh, gives, and all things that God creates are good. But it's also true that uh, any of the things that God gives can become uh, an idol. And for them, they've really created a a God who responds to works righteousness rather than the gracious God, uh, the one true God. So, yeah, I mean, there there is idolatry here, certainly. And I think that the first commandment applies well for that, uh, to look at it that way. And and that, of course, goes back to what was going on with, uh, with Cain and also with Elijah and the prophets of Baal that I was mentioning earlier. So in this case, then, the, the idolatry that's being described in this parable, the idol becomes the works that I would do, as if my good works are going to save me. Right, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. what I do is, is something that's going to merit uh, God's salvation. What about the connection to the first article of the Creed? Yeah, really, all three articles of the Creed kind of come through in this. But yeah, the first article, uh, you know, you have uh, the line in there in the, fir- in the in Luther's meaning, all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. Uh, God doesn't give us good things because we earn them or because we're hard workers. Um, he gives us good things because he's merciful and good. Or to use the language from, uh, you know, from the parable for today, um, Am I not, you know, uh, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Uh, you know, so the Lord uh, gives, gives because he wants to give to us, because he loves us out of his love for us. And it has nothing to do with our, uh, with our works at all. How about the second article? You said all three, Pastor Vandercook. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The second article, um, you know, where we talk about how does, how, does, how does salvation come to us? How does Jesus win salvation for us? Well, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. Um, salvation is not something that's purchased using worldly wealth uh, of ours or even Christ. It's not like Christ went over and robbed the bank and then used that money to pay for salvation or something silly like that. Uh, you know, he pays for it with his holy precious blood at the cross. Uh, and that's where... Uh, it happens, and then that is distributed freely to us, and that's where the third article comes in, that, you know, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. We don't come to Christ on our own. We don't come uh, by our own efforts. Uh, we don't work our way to earning God's favor. Uh, the Holy Spirit does the work of converting and sustaining us in the faith, and and, and in turn giving us those gracious gifts of God. Uh, you know, word and sacrament is where it comes to us, uh, from the outside, not something that they, that again we have earned or deserved. Um, so yeah, I mean the the, the creed uh, really is expressed well, or is is kind of covered well in this parable as well. Yeah, the the matter of I mean uh, the key I think to this the whole first scene is that it is the master who takes the initiative. He is the one who goes out and hires, and and the the grace the wonder of it, the giving nature of our God is seen. And the fact that he goes out 
multiple times during the day, as you, know, you described those day laborers early on. And, and generally, you're going to try to get hired at the beginning of the day. And that's when most people are going to be out hiring because that's they, they want the whole day. But here we've got one who, who is willing to give. And, and so the, the parable focuses us not so much on the labor that's done in the vineyard. That, that's important. But the fact that you get to go into the vineyard, this is, this mm-hmm. is the real gift. And, and that's why the, and then the, the gift then at the end as well flows from the fact that, that you've been in the vineyard the whole time. This is, this is where the, the focus should be. It's a, um, it's, it's a matter of, of identity. I, I was, as I was thinking about this earlier, I, I think in those first workers, you have a, a bit of a, a similar attitude to what we see in the the older son in the parable uh, that Jesus tells in Luke 15. You've got, you know, the two sons, what's called the parable, the prodigal son. That's the younger one who goes and runs off and wastes the father's property. Meanwhile, you've got the older son back home. And when his younger son comes home, right, and, and receives the party, it's, it's a very similar picture, I think. He gets jealous. Oh, yeah. and, and you see in the older son that, that he he never considered himself a son. He was he was concerned about the work and, and what his father was going to give him in return for the work, which it seems is a very similar attitude to these first workers here. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, very good comparison as well. And I, I was thinking about there earlier as we were having our discussion, I was thinking about the, uh, uh, the, the parable of the lost son there as well. So, yeah, I think that's a good comparison uh, to, to look at that parable as well. And, it, you know, again, both of them show ultimately and, you know, going all the way back to when you're talking about the naming of these uh, these parables, you know, we have the parable of the lost son. Uh, we have the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But in the end, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The parable is not actually about the workers in the vineyard. The parable is not actually about the lost son. Uh, you know, the parable of the workers in the vineyard is about the uh, uh, the gracious master. Uh, the parable of the lost son is actually the parable of the um, of the uh, forgiving father. You know, so you have that. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the focus, yeah, is always on on what God is doing uh, and and giving uh, rather than on uh, what the other characters are doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. What What about we we've we've talked at length about the parable. What about this this envelope around this matter of the first being last, the last first, and then at the end the last will be first, the first last. We, we said that this parable is going to help us understand what that means. So, so Pastor Vandergrick, how does this parable help us to understand Jesus' proverbial phrase? Well, yeah, it's it, like like you said, it's a formula that envelops the parable, but it's it's actually in the reverse the second time. Uh, the first time, right before the parable, uh, which comes at the end of uh, chapter 19, um, it uh, uh, it says, many who are first will be last and the last first. So first, last, last, first. And this one is last, first, first, last, which I'd probably get lost in that listening to that, I suppose. But it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's told in the reverse direction. Uh, and first of all, literally that happens in the parable, as as I think you pointed out earlier, Pastor Apple, it was, uh, you know, the ones that were hired last are the ones that are paid first. Uh, so you have that literally happening in the parable. Uh, but also, you know, y- you have this idea that, um, uh, that, that those who are last, uh, you know, and here we're not necessarily talking about literally being somewhere first or being somewhere last, but those who are at the lowest position uh, you know, which would be the ones that are last. They are the ones that are 
elevated to the highest position. And those who are in the highest position, those who are first, are um, are those who, uh, you know, as the parable says, they've, they've kind of, uh, they're, they're counting on the wrong thing. You know, they're saying, I'm, I'm first and nothing can knock me off my perch. Um, you know, and, and because of that, they lose their faith and they've been knocked completely off that perch. Uh, and so then they become last, that is lowest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so, yeah, the, the parable illustrates how, again, uh, God elevates those who are low and he brings down those that are high. You know, it's expressed in the Magnificat as well, beautifully by, uh, by Mary's song in, in Luke. Mm. Take, so we, we, I mean, and I think the the main the main point of the parable is that that warning to those first workers, those those who would have received God's grace, but then make it into something that that they've earned, something that God owes them. I, I think that's the main point, and that's that's where the answer at the end of the parable really directs the thrust there. But but at the same time, this this saying that Jesus has about the last being first and first being last, I think also offers a, a measure of comfort to those who who are who find themselves in the the third hour, the sixth hour, ninth hour, particularly at the eleventh hour. What's the I mean, what's the comfort that's here in this parable, Pastor Vanderker? We've talked a lot about the warning. Yeah, you know, a lot of folks are going to be um, uh, perhaps be in the position. Oh, it's too late for me. I know there was there was a there was a fellow at a, at a uh, he was a spouse of a member at a congregation I served years ago that uh, he he would attend uh, you know he he would attend services at least occasionally if not regularly with his wife and and his kids. But uh, I, I talked to him one time about, you know, hey, why don't you go through and, you know, uh, would you be interested in going through instruction to become uh, a member of the congregation and, and everything else so that, you know, so that he could come to the Lord's table and receive God's gifts there and so forth. And his comment to me was, you know, I think if that would happen, the roof of the church would fall in on me or something like that. You know, in other words, he I, I never really got more details than that. I think I, I, I moved from that parish before I, I really got to know him any better. But at the same time, you know, the the idea that I've done so much, I've fallen so far uh, that that there's no there's no hope for me, you know. And it's not necessarily that those people always feel like there's no, um, you know, there is that, that thought that maybe I've done so many things that are wrong in my life. I've lived such a sinful life that there's no hope, you know? Uh, and yeah, this, this is there, that, that is the comfort. That is the, the gospel here is that, uh, you know, Christ Jesus comes to save sinners. He comes to, and God wants to give his gifts. That's what God wants to do. You know, that's why he goes out at the 11th hour to the marketplace is because he has, he has the means to give uh, to these workers who are standing idle because nobody's hired them. Uh, and so, yeah, the Lord does the same for, uh, for for his people here on earth and for all people, is that he desires all men to be saved. He desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, and so his word is going to keep going out, uh, and his salvation can come even at the very last moment. Nobody has fallen so far and so deep that they cannot uh, be be saved. Mm, right. And and that's that's true whether the eleventh hour, whether whether you're near the end of your life or whether it's the eleventh hour where we're we know we're near the end that Christ is coming soon. But 
but all the while the word is being proclaimed this this call to come to the vineyard right i mean i'm i'm reminded of the the parable of the sower as you were talking there how the the seed just continues to get scattered that god continues to cause his word to be proclaimed across the world that more would be saved and and come to the knowledge of the truth and and that is the the graciousness of this parable pastor vanderkirk we've got 2 minutes here on the morning um any any other points you want to bring out from this parable or, or wrap things up and summarize for us well, you know, no, I mean, I think, I think really the last few things that we said are, are good. You know, I mean, nobody, you know, first of all, there is, you know, there's a warning here again in comfort. Uh, once again, the warning of, is that we, there's no way we're ever going to be so high that we can't fall. Uh, we do need to be wary of that, uh, that, that there is a chance that we can, that we can lose this uh, if we, if we reject the gifts of God, if we take them for granted. Uh, and so we want to treasure what God has given us in his word uh, and what God has given us freely in his word. Uh, but at the same time, we also have that great comfort that uh, perhaps if we have fallen, uh, if we have fallen away, uh, that the Lord doesn't give up on us, that the Lord continues to, to come, uh, as he said, uh, even up to the end, uh, seeking us and finding us out. Pastor David Vandercook is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumel, Arkansas, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Pastor Vandercook, thank you so much for your time today. I'm glad to be here. The parable of the gracious vineyard owner. He goes out, he hires people throughout the day, wanting to draw these men, these women, into his vineyard. This is a picture of our gracious God who calls sinners to be saved in Christ Jesus, and he freely gives that gift. This is his to give. It's his to bestow, and it is ours to receive in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to him. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.